welcome back to Rycast. I'm James Stewart. Not long to Christmas then, and one of my favourite things about Rye at this time of year has just been put up inside the butter market at the Town Hall. It's a painting, probably a fresco, of the Adoration of the Magi by John Ryan, one of Rye's greatest cartoonists and authors. It's a really good painting, but amongst all the religious symbolism, there's John Ryan's most famous creation, Captain Pugwash. You can see him just peeping out over the top. Pugwash is one of the very best children's stories, famous around the world. And today's Ryecast is all about two men from Rye who are following in John Ryan's footsteps. They've written and illustrated a children's story. Let's meet them. is Daisy and the Sneezy. It's written by David Angel and illustrated by Oliver Brooks, who are with me now. How do you two know each other? We met when I was having a kind of job interview about doing some illustration work for a local person. And because David knows everyone in Rye, he was also there quietly working um, to one corner. And then I think he must have looked over and saw some of my work and we started talking about illustration and what I do. And he said, oh, I actually have an idea for a children's book. Would you like to illustrate it? And then we started talking from there, really. I don't hang around in bars waiting for illustrators to come up. So it was a really, really incredible kind of meeting because I'd seen the work he'd done, thought it was really, really beautiful. And it wasn't until we actually met actually at the Globe, I think I suddenly thought that this actually could be something worthwhile pursuing further. It had gone from being like a kind of fun idea that I really, really wanted to get up into something to actually making it a reality. Because again, although being the author of the book, it would be impossible to have actually created it without the knowledge that you have. It really did feel like a collaborative piece because obviously you had the idea and I'd had the experience in children's books that I could kind of coach you of how to write children's book as well. I think people have this idea that oh writing for children it's really easy it's just you know they're simple stories but the thing is simplicity is actually really hard to get right and you need to make things entertaining for children as well. But you've also got to have a heart in there as well. And I think that's what's nice about the book is that it's not just immature jokes, like easy jokes to get kids on board with something. It's actually quite a nice heartwarming story. I think one of the bits that I particularly liked about the whole process was the idea that this didn't have to be some specific kind of scary theme or edgy theme or about, as you say, kind of like puerile humour or something like that. I started writing it way before I actually had a daughter who is now three and I didn't have it in mind to write it for her, for example. And it's interesting because actually she's kind of grown up during the process. So I tried to cast that to one side to make sure that it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write it for a one, a two, a three, a four year old, you know, as she grows older, because the process is quite long. But actually where we landed, I think you're quite right saying that, you know, that process is so important writing it for them and understanding them rather than writing it with just the idea that you had. There's a really good example, actually, I think, which was I kept saying about certain descriptive parts that I was writing and I kept discussing those elements. And in some ways, Oliver had a massive reality check that, you know, actually kids are 
their imaginations are better than adults. And as a result, some of the things that you think you need to explain, you don't need to. That made it kind of fun. And it also meant that we got to cut down the copy quite a lot because it was there was a lot in there, a lot of descriptive. And turning it from being a written story to an illustrated story is a massive difference that I never knew existed. So we've got the book. Just briefly, explain what the book's about. So it's about a little girl called Daisy who lives with her grandpa and it's Christmas Eve. So if you can imagine a sort of snowy surrounding the cottage, one night Daisy decides to wait till her grandfather has fallen asleep and she creeps out to try and find the Sneezy. Now the Sneezy is kind of the subject of a rhyme, children's rhyme at school. So her being kind of a bit of a daredevil she decides to kind of creep out and get a photo of the creature to become a famous explorer obviously there's a happy ending because it's a children's book i can't think of any children's books don't really have a happy ending you'll probably tell me there are some but there is a kind of the heart and soul to the whole thing presumably that's come from you very much so yeah i don't know i feel like i'm quite a positive person so i do like the idea of i guess nostalgia to a certain extent i always think about going to my grandparents house and how much of an adventure it was always exploring around the house i look back and actually their houses weren't particularly big <laughs> there was that moment where you walk in and it's like right this is playtime and your imagination goes absolutely wild and actually the grandfather figure was very important to me and we discussed it quite a bit didn't we is it your grandfather a bit of a mix of both uh, so i had a grandpa and a granddad and yeah, the kind of different bits are from each of them, but that same warmness. I was really lucky. I had very, very, very close grandparents and that kind of sense of going to their houses and playing and having adventure is definitely there, yeah. Grandparents are quite crucial to children's literature or children's media because a lot of people say, why are the parents always missing or why are they dead? And that's because it's hard for a child protagonist to go on an adventure when they've got a parent hanging over their shoulder saying you're not going out at night whereas it sounds awful but you can kind of get away with it when they're staying with a grandparent or an uncle it's still irresponsible but it doesn't seem as irresponsible as if it were their parents actually <laughs> we made it really really important that when and again there's not going to be a spoiler here but like you know when they're reunited that he does actually say don't do that again and how does that work for you? Because David's come up with the words, he's got a vision for it, and he's explained the vision to you. Yeah. Did you think immediately, that'll work? Or, oh, he needs to do this? Or how did that work? Originally, he wrote it as like a prose short story. And that's fine, because that's how, when I do picture books, that's how I work as well. I write the whole thing as a prose short story. And then as I'm designing the actual picture book, I'm just taking out words like do I need to say Poppy put on her yellow raincoat I could just say Polly put on her coat because the illustration shows that it's a yellow raincoat so I was teaching David that kind of aspect of it because you've also got to remember that with picture books as well I would say that the illustrations are probably 80% of the work or 80% of the well, storytelling you work there didn't you yes, yeah, oh, yeah. that's awful yeah, that's sorry about that yeah. <laughs> you're right though that's um, <laughs> they're, they're doing 80% of the storytelling really I mean they're called picture books but the reason you have words there is so that the parent can sit with the child and read and maybe the child's not necessarily listening to the words more listening to the company of the adult it goes to the idea of why you should go 
and speak to somebody who has illustrated children's books. I wasn't sure whether to put an, a rhythm into it because I'm such a big fan of Dr. Seuss and mm. Julie Donaldson. And there's that beautiful ability to keep it kind of flowing through there. But, yeah. And it was a bit of a decision, I guess. But the thing with rhyme is that it's really easy to mess it up because you know there's always that ba-dum, 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 that people try to do but that kind of gets stale over time and also interesting enough publishers don't really like people sending in rhyming books because when they have to get them translated the rhymes don't work anymore a lot of publishers say please do not send us rhyming books i don't think we ever even described the sneezy I always thought it would be small, actually probably a little smaller than the one that ended up. Furry didn't have a trunk, which I think it sounds really obvious though, and I actually think is one of the best parts and most distinctive parts of the Sneezy book. I wanted it to be quite cute, but when cast in a shadow, quite scary, and I think that's what you did instantly, without us even really needing to talk about that. So you've come up with an illustration without any instruction? I've got my first illustration of the Sneezy here, my first idea for the design, and it pretty much looks how it turned out, only this version had smaller ears and kind of black claws, three black claws, and kind of looks like an oversized pink gerbil, whereas the creature in the final book is definitely more of a unique design to that creature. I had pretty much an idea of what it would probably look like. I think because it was called a sneezy, I thought, well, it should have a trunk because that's how you emphasise a nose in cartoon language. And because it was snow-filled forest, it should probably have fur, thick fur. And pink was so that it could stand out against the blue of the snow and the green of the woods. So it stood out immediately. It's a beautiful book and a beautiful story and it continues the, the long line of Rye authors and illustrators making children's books. What sort of books were you reading as a child? I didn't grow up in Rye, but it turned out I was reading books from people who lived in Rye. I mean, I like everyone read The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken when I was younger and John Ryan. Captain Pugwash, everyone knows that. And then you finally move here and you discover, oh, that was John Ryan's house that I've just passed. I read all the time as a child. You know, if I wasn't drawing or writing, I was reading something. And I loved any kind of fantasy or adventure. I love Tintin and Asterix and a lot of the French-Belgian comics. Living so close to Dover, we used to quite often just pop over and do the weekly shopping at City Europe and I would always get a French comic there because I just always loved the artwork like detailed cartoons. How about you David? There's a good crossover with Asterix and Tintin being you know two of the ones that I definitely kind of read quite a lot and actually when we think about Pogwash as well I was introduced to it by my sister because she used to actually watch illustrated versions of it we then looked at the print versions so yeah as a, as a kid actually it's really fun because I'm trying to read some of them to my daughter now and she likes them so the one that I think she really likes is 
Meg and Mog, and especially Meg's eggs, again, one of mine. The Beast in the Bathtub was another one that really stands out from being a lot younger. I also was quite interested and quite influenced by cartoons, and that's literally everything from being your kind of Warner Brothers through to Thundercats, which was the number one for me as a kid. You mentioned children's authors and children's books being seen as quite easy. Why is it so hard? A lot of people, when they try to write for children, they try to be relevant. So they put a lot of like gnarly words in and stuff like that. And kids know when they're being patronised too. It's like when they try to make things like, oh, it's for kids, so it must be overly cute or overly sensitive. And kids don't really like that because kids like a little bit of danger. Kids pretend that they're scared of things but they secretly like it as well. I think that's where people make the mistake in writing for children. They try to think back to like, oh, what would I like as a child? Well, I'd like everything to be over the top and stuff like that. That's actually really interesting because I think there is a a frustration that I've seen, and this is speaking as someone that's, you know, an actual professional in this world. It's my first book. But you see a frustration of authors and illustrators that those that kind of rise to the top are to do with sort of celebrity or crudeness or extremes and it can be a bit disheartening because actually some of the most beautiful work is gentle i was thinking of the moomin for example there's no borderline swearing or something to make a moomin beautiful you see that quite a lot and i see quite a frustration within the world that you see kind of people almost rising to the top and i think there was a post that i saw of like kind of bestsellers that someone has gone to wh smith's and it was i think jk rowling David Walliams and Roald Dahl and that was literally the bestsellers and it was just a row about a metre wide of all of their books and you know what Roald Dahl was one of my favourites you know growing up I can't criticise authors as well for being successful however those each have different elements of being extreme rather than that kind of that, that gentler side there are some celebrity authors who I do have a particular beef with what are you really adding to the children's book market Or what are you contributing? Are you sharing other children's authors' work? Are you representing them as well? Because that's another thing when you are a children's writer. It's such an inclusive world. Every children's writer, every children's author, they're always commenting on each other's work and saying, this is a great book or I can't wait for their next book. But celebrity authors, they don't need to do that because it is just a paycheck it's just like oh this is easy if they even did write it <laughs> now i moved down to rye a year and a half ago i've been coming here for years but what struck me is it's a really really creative town there's all the journalism that's happening there's the design stuff that's happening there's the writing there's obviously the big history but it's a really creative place isn't it it really is i don't know if it's just like the area just like the wildlife outside now it's really windy and stormy and I don't know, that really gets me in the mood to sit at my desk and create. Everyone knows what you're working on and everyone's excited to see what you're working on or what the next thing is. I think that's one of the things that does make Rye so unique is that people love to collaborate. You don't have to be kind of a polished article. I approached you with this and, you know, I'd never done it before and actually you took gamble on whether it would be any good or not and liked it and enjoyed it that meant a lot but at the same time you know I think in general with creativity I think people are open to it here I think that's what has made it 
work so well is that you put that pool of people together that both enjoy collaboration but also don't mind giving people a shot at stuff. There are so many avenues to be creative in, right? Everyone has a story as well to tell. Like, oh, I remember that bloke 15 years ago. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, he used to wear that hat and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember him. Yeah, funny character he was. And then suddenly you're just learning about this person that you had no idea about. That's so true. It's kind of stories coming from just conversation. And I think that's, you know, having that opportunity to do that in right, I think is really exciting. The sense of this place being full of storytellers. Oh, 100%. And far better than I. You know, some of the stories that... I've heard from actually, you know, even kind of going back almost full circle to how we first met. Oliver, David, thanks for coming along and sitting in the kitchen with a storm brewing outside and the neighbours sorting out their carpets. What are you up to next? I'm currently working on a pitch for an adventure comic set at sea. Just done this big maritime themed exhibition at Ethel Loves Me. And I thought after that, I'm not drawing another pirate boat or anything like that. I'm going to have a break. And then I had this idea for a comic and I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But I'm really enjoying doing that at the moment. How about you, David? I do have some other ideas of Daisy, but it's only whether Oliver likes them or not that I'm going to decide whether I do go anywhere. <laughs> and you can get a copy of Daisy and the Sneezy at Ethel Loves Me on the High Street or from sneezy.co.uk and you'll find a link on the RyeCast website. Thanks again to David and to Oliver. Good luck with the book. And if you want another children's book, get hold of The Town That Went South by Clive King. He's the chap who wrote Stig of the Dump. But this book is all about a town, which is very obviously Rye, where the town wakes up one morning to find it's adrift in the channel and heading off for adventures around the world. It's a terrific book. It may have been written in 1959, but the characters are very, very wry. Definitely worth looking out for. It's Rykar Sussex on the socials. Until next time, goodbye.